Welcome to the Mighty Littles Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Anna, and I thought that it was really important to review the new guidelines that came out from the American Academy of Pediatrics. I think there's so much uncertainty about coronavirus. Hi everybody who's joining. Um, and that holds true whether you have older kids, whether you're, you have elderly parents, or you have kids that are school age like me. We were totally um, set to go back to school. Our school district had said they were gonna do the option of five days a week or at home virtual learning. And I'm just telling you this story while I'm letting people join on. And so we were set and we thought we knew what we were doing. And then our school district had an emergency meeting on Saturday and they took away the option of having um, five days a week learning. And now they're only doing either a hybrid, meaning you can go to school two or three days a week. We don't know the details of that yet. Or uh, doing all virtual. So for somebody like me who's got smaller kids, four, four, and six, they can't really be at home by themselves while I'm at the hospital. And so now I'm kind of scrambling to find somebody to come and help on the days that they're doing their virtual learning. So I think there's just so much in flux with COVID, hello, that it makes it really, really hard to plan. So in light of that, I really wanted to come on and talk about COVID-19 as it relates to people who are pregnant and having a baby. I think pregnancy, naturally, there's quite a bit of anxiety around pregnancy for some people. Um, as well as anxiety that can come on after you have your child, postpartum anxiety. And I think COVID has really heightened that and made it even more difficult to know what's right to do and what's not right to do. So I am specifically gonna be going through exactly what the American Academy of Pediatrics put out last week in regards to treatment of infants, or the care of infants that are born to moms with recent COVID infection. If you wanna find the specific article that I'm going through and what the guidelines are, it's available on the American Academy of Pediatrics website. It's www.aap.org and just search for their most recent update. Their prior update came out way back in March or April when all of this first started. And there was much less information available. So this has, these recommendations are actually really different than what first came out in March and April. I think it will be um, somewhat of a relief to moms who are pregnant, who are gonna be delivering soon, to kind of hear about what we know, what we're doing, and what the hospitals are tending to do right now with moms that have, have COVID. So uh, if you see me kind of glance down, it's just because I'm looking at my notes. I don't wanna miss anything for you guys. There's really um, kind of five key points that I'm gonna be going over. So what do we currently know about the risk of infants that are born to COVID-19 positive moms? Approximately two to 5% of infants that are born to moms who are actively positive for COVID at the time of delivery will test positive within the kind of 96 hours after birth. So even if you get COVID while you're pregnant and you go on to deliver, um, only two to 5% of those babies will become positive. So it's really low transmission. That said, there are some cases that are coming out that are documented where babies have gotten um, in utero transmission. So mom was positive, 
Mom had a C-section, membranes were totally intact. They brought the baby out. The baby wasn't with mom because they were doing separation at that time. And at some point later in the future, baby tested positive. So we do know that there is some transmission that's possible. However, when you look at all comers and all data, it's two to 5% of infants that are born to recently positive moms. So that means moms that have either gotten tested or been positive within the two weeks prior to delivery, two to 5% of those babies will test positive for COVID. That's very different than two to 5% of babies having symptoms of COVID. Not all of these infants actually have any symptoms. Some of them are completely asymptomatic. We don't have enough data yet to know of these babies that test positive, what happens after they go home? Do they ever have symptoms? So that data is still coming in. There are case reports of infants being cared for with some symptoms, either some oxygen need, not great feeding, um, a little bit of an elevated temperature who test positive. And we know that there are infants in the United States at least that have been admitted to the hospital in the less than two month period with some of these same symptoms. So tiredness, lethargy, not very good eating, poor weight gain, a little bit of oxygen need, who have tested positive for COVID. So it is possible for infants to get COVID and to have symptoms from it. But most of those, those infants that have gotten symptoms have had very, very mild cases and have gone home within a couple of days. Um, so just it, because your infant gets it doesn't mean that it's gonna be a severe case. Um, so that's kind of what we know about the, the generalness of who's getting it. So two to 5% of infants that are born to COVID positive moms can have symptoms in that 96 hour mark. Um, so what do we do around the time of delivery? If you are a COVID positive mom, when you go in for delivery, and most hospitals are now screening moms when they go in, you are gonna be required to wear a mask, um, especially when you are around your baby. Your delivery is gonna be the same. They're not gonna say, hey, we need to do a C-section or hey, we can do a vaginal delivery. There's no change in the way that you're gonna labor or change in the way that you're gonna deliver, but it is gonna change the fact that you need to wear a mask especially when you're around your baby. And so, um, for example, delayed cord clamping, right? Like lots of data has come out about how delayed cord clamping is really good for babies, especially preterm babies. And so we wanna keep that placenta attached for anywhere from one to three minutes. You get the max benefit at the one minute mark. Anything from one to three is just a bonus. And while you're doing skin to skin with your baby on your chest, while we're doing delayed cord clamping, you're gonna wanna have a mask on because you're trying to prevent your baby from any of those secretions or droplets getting transmitted to your baby. And the same is gonna be true for the remainder of the hospital stay. And even the two weeks after you deliver, you're gonna to wanna to make sure you wash your hands really well, do good hand hygiene, and wear a mask anytime you're interacting with the baby. That holds true for your partner as well, whether it's, um, the dad or a second mom or a second dad, whoever it might be, whoever is caring for the baby who's been exposed to the person who's positive should be doing really good hand hygiene and wearing a mask anytime they're interacting with the baby. I'm sure most of you guys remember the recommendation at the very beginning of this that we separate moms and babies after delivery and have them in a different room. I think that felt wrong to, to everyone. It felt wrong to the moms. It felt wrong to doctors. It felt wrong to hospital staff. I mean, 
we're in the business of caring for moms and babies together. And there's so much data that shows that keeping moms and babies together is so important that when these recommendations came out, we all felt, oh gosh, I don't know that we wanna do that. That feels really extreme. This feels wrong to us. We wanna keep moms and babies together. And that recommendation originally came out because that's what they were doing in China. And that's what they were showing. But new data has come out showing that the risk of transmission from a positive mom to an infant is approximately the same whether infants are separated from the mom, meaning that they go to a different room and stay in a different room until mom is no longer symptomatic and tests negative, or they room in with the mom and the mom washes her hands, wears a mask when interacting with the baby, and that the baby stays approximately five or six feet away when the mom is not feeding the baby, right? So this is having the baby in a bassinet near your bed, but in the same room, but not being on you 24 seven, having a mask on when you're breastfeeding, which is really, really problematic because they slide up your face, they get in your eyes, you can't actually see what you're doing. And so particularly for first time breastfeeding moms, those masks can be really cumbersome. I know that, I'm sorry about that. We have ways that we can work to get the masks to stay down a little bit so that you can see what you're doing but at least we've reversed on that recommendation to separate babies moms and babies should stay together when mom is with baby she should wash her hands and wear a mask um so so that's kind of the separation part and the delayed cord clamping i got a lot of questions when i said hey put your questions out about breastfeeding what should we be doing about breastfeeding for moms that we know have coronavirus and um as a as a general population from the american academy of pediatrics from their society breastfeeding is strongly encouraged now that doesn't have to mean physical breastfeeding, that can also mean pumping and using expressed breast milk through a bottle. For some moms that works better than actually breastfeeding. But regardless of how your baby gets your breast milk, the breast milk is highly encouraged. Um, as I say that, I, um, I always have this slight reaction with promoting breastfeeding. I myself, um, had a really hard time uh, breastfeeding. I have something called Poland syndrome and I didn't make milk. And so it always makes my, um, it just makes the hair on my neck um, stand up because I'm, I don't want moms to ever feel bad about not being able to breastfeed. Yes, breast milk is best. Yes, breastfeeding is best if it's enjoyable by both the mom and the baby. But if there are reasons that it's not working or it's not happening, I strongly believe that fed is best. A couple questions coming in. What if the hospital policy is to separate if the mom is positive? So I'm hoping that a lot of hospitals that have that policy are currently going to be revising their policy because this um, statement just came out. If I were you, I would take a copy of the AAP statement and say, hey, the AAP said that we don't need to be separating moms and babies. I want my baby to stay with me. Um, they can't force you to separate your baby. I mean, even we had this conversation when we were recommending separating. Gosh, what do we do if a mom refuses to separate? We're not gonna force you to separate your baby. All we can do is recommend what we feel is best. So my hope is that, Jessica, for that hospital, that they're gonna be revising that policy and no longer recommending separation. But you can be armed with data and knowledge and going in and saying, hey, 
you know, the AAP released that, released that statement towards the end of July and it's no longer recommended. Can we talk about this? Let me talk about this. We are gonna do good hand washing. We are gonna wear masks. We are gonna keep the baby in the bassinet kind of a, a few feet away from, from any, anybody that's caring for the baby while we're doing this. Um, Jessica also says, I'm considering a home birth because I'm so afraid of testing positive. Um, Gosh, you know, I know people and friends that have had really, really successful home births, and 99% of the time it goes really, really well. Um, I am totally biased because I'm a neonatologist, and so I admit babies from home births go wrong. They don't all go wrong. Lots of them go well. Um, but there are some differences in terms of what you can do for baby afterwards, and I'm really hoping that... Um, this change in policy will kind of encourage moms to come back into the hospital where you have those additional resources if you need them after you deliver your baby. Has the policy addressed support partners? If you test positive, will your partner now be allowed to stay if they wear a mask? So that is a great question. Um, I think it's gonna be hospital specific, but they do address the um, policy in terms of who can, um, be in the room. The difference with support partners, sorry, let me adjust my chair, um, is because the hospital then has a second person in the hospital that's leaving the room and coming back. When you have a patient that's in the hospital, you can really isolate them to their room and provide them with everything they need. So a great example of this um, are it is when my son was in the hospital, he had coronavirus back in March, and I went into the hospital with him. I was allowed to stay with him, but I was never allowed to leave the room. And when you're caring for a child, that's one thing, but if you have other children at home and you come into the hospital and now dad has to stay there full time, there's just some logistical hurdles that have to be overcome. Um, Sorry, a couple other questions that have come through here that I wanna get to before, before I, um, forget about them. Um, so the question about the partners and the positive test, will they be allowed if they, to stay if they wear a mask? That's going to be hospital specific. And if I wasn't um, totally clear when I was answering that, that'll be hospital specific. If they are allowed, they're not going to be allowed to leave the room. And it's probably going to depend more on individual circumstances of the family unit. Um, in terms of whether the, the dad will be able to stay. Should mothers and fathers be quarantined for two weeks, oops, sorry. Um, before the birth, in order to make sure that they uh, stay negative. So um, that's a good question as well. From my standpoint, I don't think you have to be totally quarantined. The hospital is gonna screen you to see if you're positive. I think if you're being socially distant, you're wearing a mask in public, you're doing good hand washing, you're staying away from big crowds, I don't think you have to stay exclusively in your house and be like absolutely quarantined. Um, but it is good to just protect yourself as you get further along in the pregnancy because there are immune system responses that change as you get further along that can make expectant moms more likely to get more ill if they do get coronavirus. We're still watching to see what those percentages are 
I don't have any good long-term data. I just have case reports, but I can't say, oh, you're 1% more likely or 10% more likely to get more ill, but there are immune system changes that will change that. So no, you're not under house arrest. You don't have to stay at home. You don't have to be quarantined, but I would be really, really good at social distancing and try to not go to those really crowded places. Um, what are your guidelines on when a family can see the baby after birth, uh, when and after what precautions. So that totally is going to depend on whether your baby is in well baby, meaning you deliver a healthy term baby, or if your baby goes to the newborn ICU. Because in the newborn ICU, you have a bunch of other babies who are all immunocompromised. And so for a healthy term baby, the recommendation is that that baby stays in the room with you, even if you're positive. Um, you need to wear a mask. You need to do good hand hygiene. We are going to want to bathe the baby soon after delivery, right? So no waiting for 24, 48 hours to bathe the baby, but bathe, to bathe the baby shortly after delivery to try to get rid of any virus particles that might be on the baby. And we're going to test the infant at 24 and 48 hours. Or if you're gonna go home before that 48 hour mark, maybe just one test. And then on an outpatient basis, baby has to be followed very carefully for those first 14 days while they're at risk of becoming positive. And that can happen outside the hospital. So baby should stay with you, mom can see the baby, dad can be there. Um, there's no delay in when you can see, the, in, when you can see your baby. For the NICU, it's a little bit different. Um, and let me switch over to the exact page so that I don't um, uh, tell you inappropriately exactly what they're recommending. So in general, NICUs as a, as a whole have really cut back on our visitation. So most NICUs around the country have gone to parents only. No visitors, no grandparents, just parents. And both parents can come to the NICU at the same time. Um, the exception to that is moms who are positive or moms who are um, under investigation because of a exposure. And so there, it, those parents are not supposed to enter the NICU. Um, and, and that can be really, really hard because now not only are you sick, not only can you not see your baby, but your baby's in the NICU and now you're worried about your baby. So I understand how awful that feels. I, I truly do. Um, the current recommendation is to allow parents back into the NICU based on both a symptom and time-based approach. So we want moms and dads to not have a fever for 24 hours. Can't take ibuprofen and have that count. It has to be no ibuprofen or Advil or anything, anything that would reduce your fever for 24 hours before coming in. You have to have at least 10 days pass from the time that your symptoms first occurred. Or if you test positive when you go into the hospital, you have to have at least 10 days pass from that first positive test because that means that you are asymptomatic and you don't have symptoms that can resolve. Um, and then uh, thirdly, when you do have symptoms, your symptoms have to be improved. So if your fever is gone for 24 hours, but you're still super tired and not able to eat and drink and you have a cough, meaning you're shedding these particles, then you would wanna stay out of the NICU until that, that cough resolved. Um, they do put a caveat in this statement that because of how high risk NICU babies are, 
units could consider extending that time where they don't let people in for up to 21 days. And so I think that's in part gonna be related to what type of unit do you have? Do you have a, um, a bay unit or do you have individual rooms? It's gonna be in part related to what your outbreak situation is like at your in your state. So are you in Texas or Arizona or California or one of these hotspots or are you in a state that has things better under control? And as we know, all of this is ebbing, ebbing and flowing. So some states rise and then fall and then another state pops up. So it's just gonna kind of depend on the time of birth. So that's the, that's the separation. So no for term babies and yes for preterm babies simply from an entering the NICU standpoint. Um, okay, I think that that got all of the questions that popped up here. Um, so I'm gonna go back to going through my list of things. So um, to kind of recoup, the big highlights are that I've talked about so far are delayed cord clamping should continue per your hospital policy. You don't need to interrupt delayed cord clamping for a positive COVID test in mom. No separation for mom and baby. Babies should room in with the mom and encourage good hand precautions. Um, so hand hygiene, washing your hands, wearing a mask when you're you know, um, handling the baby, changing a diaper, breastfeeding, bottle feeding, um, and having the baby stay in the bassinet a couple feet away from the bed um, while the baby is sleeping. So that's the second. The third thing that we talked about was that the AAP strongly supports breastfeeding in COVID positive moms. And um, that can either be actual breastfeeding or it can be expressed breast milk through a bottle. Um, I talked a little bit about the detailed testing in terms of babies should get a bath uh, soon after delivery and get tested at 24 and 48 hours of age. Um, when There are cases where babies have tested negative at the 24 hour mark and then tested positive at the 48 hour mark. That's why they're recommending doing both tests. If your baby tests positive, they're recommending ongoing testing every other to every third day until your baby tests negative to ensure that your baby has cleared the virus from those mucous membranes and the places where it's carried. Mostly that's because infants don't have a mature immune system. And so we worry about how their body is going to react to this virus, and we want to make sure that their body clears it. But all of that can be done on an outpatient basis. We don't have to hold a well newborn in the hospital to ensure that that test is negative. That can all be done with your pediatrician or your family practice doctor on an outpatient basis. Um, a, a lot of people asked about the timing of discharge. So if mom comes into the hospital and mom is positive, should we either keep babies longer? The answer is no, I just talked about that. Or should we try to discharge those babies sooner? Um, and the answer is no. There's no advantage to sending those mom-baby pairs home sooner. Um, the Particularly for first-time moms who really want to breastfeed or for C-section moms to avoid the complications of a C-section. Um, the wound dehissing, meaning that it's separating or blood loss or things like that. So um, just routine timing of discharge is what's recommended. For moms that have had many kids who they would consider a 12 or, or 18 hour discharge just because it was a completely uncomplicated pregnancy, that's totally fine. I'm not saying that you can't go home early. I'm just saying we should do routine discharge at what you would have done even if you hadn't tested positive for COVID. Um, 
Okay, let's see. What else do I have on my papers that I want to talk about? Um, we talked about maintaining a distance and washing your hands and wearing a mask. We talked about skin to skin, the typical newborn criteria, testing afterwards. We talked about NICU visitation for people who might end up in the NICU and that there's no advantage to an early discharge. Um, so let me get to a couple more questions. I, I wrote them down for people that had submitted questions before I came on here. Um, quarantine two weeks prior to delivery, we talked about that. Um, COVID affecting newborns, I talked about that. The do's and don'ts in the week prior to delivery, I really liked this question. Um, and I think in part you were getting around to the to should we be quarantining. But from my standpoint, for a mom that's pregnant in the time of coronavirus, the do's and don'ts for that those two weeks leading up to delivery are really all about do take care of yourself, do drink a lot of water, do take the time to rest, do hang out at home, do spend time with your husband and your older children who are gonna get a little bit squinched for time after this new baby comes home. Um, and and do pamper yourself a little bit. Um, don't stress so much about when you go into the hospital, am I going to have a COVID test? Um, if anybody has read some of the stuff that I've put out on Mighty Littles, you know that being a neonatologist who's pregnant with twins is not a good thing because the amount of anxiety you have about everything that can go wrong goes through the roof. And so my husband gave me the best advice that I've ever received, which is live through that once. If something goes wrong, let's live through it once, not every day up until that point, because you're just wasting away all of that energy worrying about something that you can't change that you don't even know is gonna happen. To be perfectly honest, the first 10 times he gave me that advice, literally I wanted to strangle him or punch him or kick him or tell him to get out of the house or leave the room or, or whatever it might be. Like, I was like, you don't understand. I can't do that. But in actuality, I could, once I started practicing it, those thoughts come in. Oh, my twins are gonna deliver early. Okay, yes, they might deliver early, but I'm not delivering early today. I'll deal with that when they get here. Oh, if I go into the hospital, I might test positive for COVID. They might take my baby away. Well, we just reiterated that we're not gonna take your baby away. And yeah, you might test positive for COVID when you go in, but you're not testing positive for COVID today. And so we can deal with that when and if it happens. Let's not put all of our energy into that. So do pamper yourself, do take care of yourself. Don't obsess about complications that you can't control. Those are my biggest do's and don'ts for leading up to the delivery. Um, okay, here is also a good question that I get asked um, when I'm discharging babies from the newborn ICU all the time. When is it okay for friends and family to visit? When is it okay for grandparents to visit? Should my mom still come who's 80? So, you know, you can see the flavor of these questions and should they wear a mask? Um, so in terms of friends and family visiting and wearing a mask, this is all personal choice and personal preference. Um, I think that if your parents come and they've been at home and they isolated for two weeks, then they can come over and there's no reason for them not to come over. I personally would have them wear a mask. They're at higher risk than your baby is, but I think it's better for them to see the baby and interact with the baby and wear a mask than not be able to come over. That's where I fall out on it. Those are my personal beliefs. Um, if my parents were working at Costco every day and exposed to a ton of people 
or they had a job, um, again, where they some job where they were exposed to a lot of, of people, like a school teacher who's going to have a ton of kids coming into her classroom. Gosh, that's a little bit of a harder decision to make, right? Because you've got people that are really, really exposed or a hairdresser. Those are going to be some of your high, higher exposure areas. I would be a little bit more careful about wanting them to come in. And if they have a job, it might not be possible for them to separate for that for a full two weeks before they come. Maybe they could separate for seven days, right? The majority of symptoms happen in the first five to seven days after an exposure. So maybe you could adjust the way you, you do things. And then if you do have higher risk people coming over, definitely I would have them wash their hands and wear a mask. Um, I just want to point out that it's never recommended for an infant to wear a mask. So we never want to put a mask on an infant or anybody under the age of two. Um, so hopefully you guys have heard that message. The, the babies don't need to wear masks. It's not good for them. And, and beyond that, it really is a personal decision. In my family, my parents are really high risk. My dad had polio. He has pulmonary fibrosis. They are not coming over to our house because my kids, because I'm a doctor and an essential worker, my kids are going to a little preschool during the summer and they are gonna go back to school at least part-time. And that's just too much of a risk for us to be willing to take with my parents. So it's a really personal decision. And I would say the more you can separate, the better. Um, but I certainly wouldn't not include grandparents. Um, so, so that's that one. And then how long do we need to be extra careful with a preemie or a newborn with regards to COVID after we take them home? Um, so my, my, one of my favorite phrases when I'm really working with parents going home from the NICU with really highly at-risk babies is that you're not under house arrest. Um, you're not, you can go outside, you can get into your backyard, you can take a walk around the block, you can go for a drive in your car to a park and walk around the park. You're not under house arrest, but don't go to places like Costco and Target or the mall or big crowded restaurants. Try to sit outside on the patio if you are gonna try to go out um, and just be really careful about what those exposures are. I would consider any baby less than three months old in my high-risk category. And the reason is that babies that are in that first three months of age, one of the, the signs that they show us that they're sick is with temp instability and withholding their breath. And those are things that we really don't wanna have happen at home because, because it can be really scary. Um, additionally, babies that are in that those first three months window, if they do get sick, it most of the time involves a hospital stay. They end up coming into the hospital having to get an IV, getting blood cultures, getting antibiotics. We just treat them very differently because, because they can um, get sick really fast and they do hold their breath and turn blue when they get sick. So anybody in that first kind of three months, I would consider at higher risk. And for any preemie that's going home, I would consider them at higher risk until they've been off of oxygen for a year. So if you come off of oxygen at the time of discharge, then you're higher risk for that first year. If you go home on oxygen and you come off when you're six months old, you are still at higher risk from the point you come off oxygen for an entire year. Um, so those are the questions that came to me over um, 
the question box that I just wanted to make sure that I addressed. And then lastly, I thought I would talk a little bit about vaccines and herd immunity. So I think everybody's kind of waiting for this vaccine to come out and, and waiting for us to get herd immunity so life can go back to normal a little bit. Everybody wants that. Herd immunity, generally speaking, based on some of the numbers that they've been playing with, is gonna be 60 to 70% of the population. 60 to 70% of the population. That is a huge number. And right now, case numbers are running kind of 5%, 7%, so really, really far away from that. Um, in terms of a virus, there's a, essentially a ton, there's over 200 viral trials that are underway where people are trying to find a virus. They're using other viruses as vectors in order to give parts of coronavirus so that your body will mount an immune response but it's really too early to tell exactly what's gonna happen. When you get a, vi a vaccine, you get a part of that virus that then your immune system responds to and remembers. You've got B cells and T cells and antibodies and all those things that your body res responds to and then you have these things that remember they've seen this virus so that when you get exposed to the virus again, those cells come out and they can fight whatever you were exposed to really quickly. But there's some viruses that you can't make a vaccine to because your body doesn't mount that type of immune response. So if you think about like tetanus, right? You get a booster every 10 years. If you think about hepatitis B vaccine, hepatitis B vaccine is a series of three shots because you need those boosters. Measles, mumps, um, chicken pox, all of those vaccines, again, you get an initial dose, your body has a response, that response falls down, and then you get a booster to get your more long-lasting response. And so we still don't know enough about how the body responds to COVID to know, is it going to be a one-time vaccine? Is it going to be a yearly vaccine? Are we going to be able to mount a response like we do? Or is it going to be something more like influenza, where there's so many different types of influenza and that virus mutates just a little bit every year that you need a new vaccine every single year. It's just too early to tell, but that's what this next year is gonna hold in terms of where do we go from here to try to protect ourselves long-term. Um, okay, I think that was really what I wanted to talk about. I was hoping to keep it under 30 minutes for people that listen later. We ran just a couple minutes over. I really appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, hopefully you found this interesting and I loved the questions that you submitted. Um, I'm always happy to answer more questions if you wanna um, submit them over Instagram and then I can uh, post in my stories if your question didn't get answered. Um, for those of you that have ex-NICU babies, hopefully this gave you some information on how to keep them safe. And for those of you that are pregnant and gonna be delivering here shortly, hopefully this gives you a little bit of reassurance that we in the hospital community are not just gonna snatch your baby away, that we really want the same things that you want in terms of keeping your baby with you, encouraging breastfeeding, doing delayed cord clamping, and keeping everybody safe. Um, thank you so much for joining in. We'll be doing more of these Instagram Lives. Shoot me a message if you have any topics you want me to specifically cover. I will see you guys in the future. Bye-bye. Keep saying it, Walt. No. Podcast.